0: Welcome to part two of the Fireside Chat with Jerry Erickson and Rob Chestnut. Enjoy. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about your journey and and how you became this this highfalutin corporate attorney for a company that is uh, a little bit on the edge, right?
1: Yeah, it's, um, some of it is being at the right place at the right time. I mean, I I was, um, I was a federal prosecutor in Northern Virginia, um, I got, my federal, I, I got my federal prosecutor job because I think I, I was a summer associate in a law firm. And one night, uh, you know, the, you know summer, summer law firms will treat you really well. They take you out. And they, it's not at all the way it really is in a lot of the big firms. But they, uh, one night they took us to a baseball game up in Baltimore. Uh, and the firm was in Richmond. It was McGuire Woods and Battle. So I get on the bus from McGuire Woods and Battle. Uh, we're going up to Baltimore to see a baseball game. And on the way to Baltimore, we stopped. Uh, in Northern Virginia. And I'm sitting in the first row of the bus and nobody's sitting next to me. And the guy, this older gentleman, gets onto the bus and sits down next to me. So we start chatting. Seems like a really lovely person to chat. About halfway through the bus ride, I find out that this is a federal judge who used to work at the law firm. Um, And so we ended up chatting during the game, uh, sat next to each other on the bus ride back. And at the end of the bus ride, he said, I'm going to need a law clerk um, when you graduate from law school, uh, I want you to stay in touch with me. Okay. So next thing you know, that little bus ride turned into a federal judgeship, a federal clerkship with a, f- a great federal judge. Which is a big deal. Big deal. He a then deal. Uh, refers me to the Justice Department for their honors program. Um, I get into the Justice Department honors program. That leads to being a prosecutor. So, you know, and then the the story about AOL and writing a note to Jobs at eBay.com. You know. it's it is a combination of working hard, keeping a smile on your face, and being at the right place at the right time. So uh, once I got to eBay, um, you know, frankly, it was I spent 10 years at eBay. And when Airbnb needed a general counsel, they looked around and said, well, who's, who is out there that's done this before? You know, who's uh, been in a marketplace type of a, a business on the internet, um, facing a lot of regulatory challenges? And you know, there, there aren't that many people and I was somebody that uh, several people said, yeah, you should go get Rob Chesman. Yeah, you know, be nice to everybody in the journey along the way, because those are the people that'll mention your name uh, when opportunity knock. So uh, that's how I got there. And I've been at Airbnb and eh, two and a half years now.
0: Tell them about the interview process at Airbnb, because I thought that was pretty intense.
1: Airbnb is really concerned about its culture. Um, And is so concerned about the culture that you go through multiple rounds of interviews. I think mine was not the norm, but I went through nine rounds of interviews. A round is each time you're called back in on a separate visit. Some of the rounds had like five, six, seven, eight people. Some of them were just one-on-ones. One of the rounds was I literally got a call at four o'clock in the afternoon um, from uh, the person that was the previous general counsel who was doing the hiring. And she said... We just uh, got sued in this particular court. Uh, you can go online and get a copy of the complaint. Um, I'd like to have breakfast with you tomorrow morning. So I literally had to you know, spend, you know, spend the rest of the night trying to figure out what my, what my position would be and then show up at breakfast at 8 o'clock the next morning and talk about it. So They're very picky. Um, they also have a, one round where you, the, the people you interview, it's called their ground control. You interview with three people who have nothing to do with legal or nothing to do with the job that you're interviewing for. They're solely there to determine whether they think you're a cultural fit, whether you live the values of the company. Um, and if you don't pass that round, the core values round, you don't get a job offer. Even if everybody in the team that that is actually you're going to work with loves you, if core values doesn't pass you, you're out. And there have been some pretty famous stories of people who you know, were well thought of and well liked who didn't pass core values, and that was the end of it. So they take culture really seriously at the company. Uh, as a result, it's a fabulous place to work. I think it's, uh, uh, I, I've enjoyed it tremendously. But but it's a it's a difficult process to get in. I,
0: I think the team would probably like to hear about that. You know, what is it like at Airbnb? Mm-hmm. We we read some of the articles that come out as a result of, uh, you know, some of the litigation that's out there. And the yeah. people are unhappy mm-hmm. for a variety of different reasons. So... Uh, I'm sure it's kind of a it's a hot seat that you're in just a yeah. little bit. So maybe you talk about some of your main responsibilities yeah. as general counsel and, and what you think it's like. Really, you've talked about the culture, but what is it like inside the doors?
1: Yeah, um, I would say that. Uh, well, first of all, you name a successful company, and I'll I'll tell you that there's going to be controversy around it. Uh, there are going to be competitors that don't like it. There are going to be regulatory challenges. Um, I like gray and messy. Some lawyers, and there's nothing wrong with either type. Some people like neat. They want to know what the rule is. They want to know exactly what to do, and you paint between the lines, and it's great. Um, I like environments where it's not so clear, where you don't really don't know what the law is. Um, there's going to be a lot of people challenging you, but I think it's a lot of fun to kind of go on the journey and work through it. Um, and Airbnb is kind of like that. I mean, Airbnb is, um, I don't know how many people, has anybody used Airbnb here? Most <laughs> me away. Wow. Really? Um, there are, um, the, hotel, the hotels don't like us much. Oh, no. Um, by the way, I've got nothing as <laughs> hotels. I, I stay in a hotel sometimes. Sometimes a hotel is just the right thing. If I'm flying in to a city at 1130 at night and I've got a business meeting the next morning in the downtown district, I don't want to have to, you know, I don't want to meet with a host, have a cup of coffee, and talk about the neighborhood. I just want to go, <laughs> I want to go somewhere and know that I, I, you know, the, I can get in, I can get in the room easily. I, I got a breakfast the next morning, I can get out. Hotels are fine, but hotels are not right for a lot of circumstances. And I think particularly families traveling are a great example. I mean, if you've got kids, you, you need a place to stretch out. You want the kids to have their own room, but you can keep an eye on them. You got washer, dryer, you got a kitchen. It's a much more comfortable way to travel. And also, I think you get a much better sense of a place uh, staying in a neighborhood than you do staying in the hotel district. So, but the hotels are, it's, it's odd. The hotels view us as a threat. Although Airbnb has been around for 10 years, the hotel business over the last 10 years, fabulous. You, they're public companies, they're doing great, record earnings. Um, I think everybody's benefiting right now because increasingly, people, um, people want to travel and people want experiences. Less of an emphasis on things, more of an emphasis on experiences. And I think Airbnb increases the pie. In other words, we because we're cheaper, because we exist in places where no hotels exist, we enable more travel. Um, so I think it's, it's not a zero-sum game where our success means the hotel failure by any imagination. Um, uh, but they're still very threatened by us. And they, have, they work. We are in 81,000 cities around the world in 191 countries. And the hotel lobby is very powerful. They are local. And so they have worked and continue to work um, to try to get uh, local city councils to pass laws that would uh, basically put us out of business. So a big part of the job is figuring out how to fight these laws. How to get our host uh, energized so they can go out and speak out about the other side of the story. Um, How to fight some of the narratives. The narratives that we somehow are the ones that are responsible for the housing crisis in this world is kind of hard to believe. You look at the data and the number of Airbnbs in any given large city um, is something like 0.2% of the housing stock. And the idea that 0.2% of the housing stock could be having any impact, any serious impact on housing prices is crazy. But it's an emotional issue and the hotels use it uh, in that battle. So some of it is trying to work cooperatively with cities or in a few cases, legal challenges. Um, like I, I'm on, I was on the phone last week with Attorney General uh, Carl Racine over in D.C., uh, who's closely working with uh, a proposed law uh, in the District of Columbia to limit our business. Um, uh, there are lawsuits we filed in several cities across the country where we weren't able to get regulation that was fair. So uh, we work on that. Uh, so that litigation and dealing with cities globally, uh, working, there's a big case in France, one in Barcelona. Um, I learn a lot because I, you know, to be uh, to be honest, I look, this is really complicated stuff. There's a lot of different areas of the law. Uh, there's a lot I don't know. But I, our legal team is now over 100 people. And we've got lawyers in 21 offices around the world. So I've got this, this, the key to success is hiring really, really smart people, who understand the law and understand the local circumstance. Amen. And so, right. you know, that's yeah, it. You know? Really. So I, I spend a lot of time talking to them and sort of partnering with them to try to figure out how to address problems.
0: we have kind of opened the door. Why don't we talk about uh, maybe like um, integrity, culture, diversity, those, those types of issues mm-hmm. yeah. and, you know, what you see in the Valley and maybe at Airbnb and just some of your personal views on that.
1: Yeah. The world is changing. I, mean, I don't know how many people have noticed the articles that are in the paper about bad behavior by uh, famous people, tech leaders, leaders of all types of companies. Um, the, the Me Too movement um, has brought a lot of that to bear. It's, the behavior's not new. The, the behavior's been going on for decades, centuries. Um, but uh, people are finally being held accountable, which is you know, uh, fantastic, it's about time. Um, and so for me, Uh, I started noticing the articles coming out, you know, when I was at Airbnb. And, you know, I love learning from other people's mistakes. And it's like, wow, you know, first of all, I don't want to be a part of a company where there's that that kind of behavior going on. Um, I read one, I was reading in the car ride on the way over here. The chief legal officer of Google, uh, David Drummond, uh, just came out. that He fathered a child with someone on his team. While he was, he's still the chief legal officer there. Fathered a child with someone on the team while he was married. Fathered a child with someone else on the team while he was there. So that's going to be just another you know, uh, issue that Google's now going to have to deal with. I've seen it blow up companies. Um, I've seen it ruin people's lives. And by the way, when I say I've seen it, I mean, I, there's like one guy I know that I invested in his company. I was an advisor. I was on his advisory board. Um, and then I read in the paper that he was—he sexually assaulted a woman on the team at a holiday party, just like that. the Whole company gone, gone. Forced to resign. He was the whole leader behind the company. The whole thing just evaporated, just like that. Uh, this stuff—it's going on all over. Um, my job—I kind of view it as my job as the general counsel—to drive integrity into the culture of the company. Okay, my job to prevent that stuff. Now. Uh, it's not my job alone, but I got to lead it. So what I've done is I've started a program um, called Intentional Integrity. It's an effort to be really specific about what what the rules are in the workplace. What can you do and what you can't do, and not and to do training. You know, traditional training is uh, well. First of all, there's most companies should have a code of ethics. I don't know if you've got a code of ethics, but you should. Um, and the code of ethics sort of details um, what sort of relationships are allowed. Can you have a relationship with someone else at the company? Can you have a relationship with someone that's on your team? Um, what if they are the ones that the, the, the subordinate initiates? it? Is that, is that okay? Can you do it? What about alcohol? Can you, should you serve alcohol? Should there be limits on the amount of alcohol you serve? Um, there are a whole host of issues, um, conflicts of interest. Um, can you accept gifts from vendors? Uh, what kind of gifts can you accept? Um, there are tons of issues around integrity, and I think the problem is that people just don't know what the answer is to this question. And the the point behind a code of ethics is to answer those questions and then go out and have an open conversation with everybody on the, on, in the company it. So Everybody knows what rules are And everybody lives there. Um,
0: How did you get to a code of ethics? Did you write that yourself? No, or was that internally it generated? Do
1: it doesn't do any good for the lawyer to sit in a room somewhere and come out with a tome that's like, you know, Moses coming down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. It doesn't work because it's not my company. Um it, so the way, that, the way that I did it was I sat down with the founders of the company and the exec team. And I said, all right, some of the stuff is just the law. We're going to have to, you know, we, we, sexual harassment is not allowed, right? But, but what is sexual harassment? And how are we going to define exactly what behavior is allowed and what's not? And I said, so here's the, here's the rule, guys. We're not going to have any rules unless all of us in the room as leaders are signed up to. it. So because it's stupid. And hypocritical for me to go to a room and write out rules that would be ideal for me, the lawyer. And then, if the executives aren't going to follow the rules, then we look like a bunch of idiots. And we're worse off than if we'd had nothing. I'd rather just say nothing. (laughs) So, two rules I said two things, guys. You've got to abide by these rules, and you've got to be willing to hold others accountable when they break the rules, even if they're top performers. Okay? And I said, so we're going to go through the rules, the possible rules. And like one possible rule, I threw around the room. We've got a dozen leaders of the company, all right? It's called the exec staff. So on the exec staff, uh, that's the three founders. It's me. It's the head of the homes business, the head of the experiences business, head of engineering, head of HR. Um, That's a couple of others. Um, So I said, what do you want to do about relationships? Uh, I said, in my view, you should never have a relationship with anyone in your reporting line, anyone in the reporting line. I said, now you could try to get away with it if you want, but you're really wide open to sexual harassment. I said, that ought to be off limits. Everybody aligned behind that? I said, because if you sign up for it and we make that the rule and you have a relationship with someone on the team like David Drummond apparently had a relationship with somebody on his team, that means you're leaving the company. Are you in? Everybody was in. I said, all right, now here's the next one. Everybody on the exec team, there are 12 of us that run a company of 4,500. We are perceived to be powerful, perceived to have a lot of influence. Should we, should any of us have a relationship with anyone in the company? Okay, so even if it's not on your team, as the general counsel, should I be having a relationship with a mid-level person in marketing or someone in a business unit? Should the head of the homes business be having a relationship with someone in HR? I said, I think it, those sort of relationships can cause a lot of problems because the person who's having the relationship, first of all, if you ask them out, they're going to feel a lot of pressure to say yes because they're going to wonder if the head of the homes business asks me out, what happens if I say no? And then, they're going to, then if things don't go well, that's the sexual harassment lawsuit, right? And then what's going to happen, what's everybody going to think? Everybody's going to think that that mid-level person in marketing's got access to all the information in the company, that they're special. And everybody's got to treat that person. So I said, what's it going to be, folks? Some of you are married. Some of you are in permanent relationships. Some of you aren't. Are you willing to say no relation, no sexual relationship with anybody in the company? Everybody went around the room and said, okay, we think it's the right thing to do. We agree. We're in. And that's just how it starts. And we, I went through a bunch of different things like that with folks. And two people are no longer with our company because they didn't abide by the rules. Two senior people are gone. And that makes me feel great because once we all sit around the room together and agree, and then once we specifically put the rules out, I said, look, we can choose what the rules are going to be. But once you put that rule out there and say you're going to follow it, you got to follow it. So it acts as a forcing function. And I'll tell you, people really appreciate the clarity. People want to know what the rules are. I found I was surprised because I did I went out and did training on this in small group sessions with everyone in the company. I visited every office in the world. I've done the training nearly 60 times. Very specific and talk about exactly what the rules are or what they aren't. And everybody's like, okay, the general counsel of the company's coming to Taiwan. They're coming to each individual country. They're talking about this in small groups. They're serious. Okay? And we're, we know what the rules are now, and we're all going to live with them. And we agree, everybody understands. Rules get violated, you gone. And we also talk about things that are not specific rules but good judgment." So one of our rules is you're always at work when you're with someone from work. Like, where do these rules apply, right? So does the rule only apply, for example, if you guys have a code of ethics, does the rule only apply on the 11th floor of this building? Does it apply in the elevator on the way up? What about the parking lot? What about if some workers go out on their own for drinks after work? does Do apply then? Our rule is you're always at work when you're with someone from work. So that means on Saturday night, if you think, You're finally getting away from those folks at the office. You're going to be able to go out and relax and have a good time. You walk into a bar, and there they are, three of them at the bar. You're still at work. So you make a comment to somebody that's not appropriate, or you're touching somebody inappropriately. That's like it happened at work because it's going to impact what happens at work on Monday morning. Everybody understands that, right? At Airbnb, everybody gets that. We have a rule that says no drinking in excess at any company-related function. And by the way, a company function is whenever two people from Airbnb are together. No drinking in excess. So what does that mean, Rob? I said, well, like in this room, there are probably 40 different definitions of that. You've got to know for yourself what your rule is. By the way, I've got my rule, and I tell everybody what my rule is. I have two drinks at at any work-related function. My entire career, I've never had more than two drinks with anybody that I work with. Why? Because my job's worth something to me. And I know that I can have two drinks no matter what. I can enjoy a nice local wine, a local beer, a local tequila. I can have two drinks no matter how much food I've had or how much time has passed. I can have two drinks. I'm good. I start getting three drinks, four drinks, five drinks. I don't know. And I'm not willing to find out and do something dumb with my career uh, in order to have that drink three, four, or five. And I tell everybody at Airbnb, I said, two drinks is not the rule, right? That's my personal rule. I said, the, the company rule is don't drink in excess. You need to figure out what your own rule is for yourself. And the worst time to be figuring out what your rule ought to be is while you're drinking with somebody from work, right? So think about your career. Think about the consequences of getting wasted at an office party and doing something stupid that could screw up your career. Think about it. Make a decision and use that judgment. That's, That's the sort of stuff that we talk about specifically. And uh, it's been really well received at Airbnb. We we do anonymous surveys around it. And what people have found are like, wow, I really, knowing what the rules are, being really specific, open, and honest about it, gives me comfort and also makes me feel proud of a company, of working at a place that takes integrity seriously. Um, So hopefully, look, we got 4,500 people at Airbnb. I could walk out of here in 30 minutes and on the newswire could be something bad, right? You never know. But I do have confidence that we have a structure, and we all know what the rules are going to be, and I know how it's going to be handled once I get back to uh, to the office of San Francisco.
0: So I, I love the fact that you talk about structure. How do you ensure that as an organization that, you know, a couple years ago it was maybe 2,000 or 2,500, and now you're 3,000 and then you're 4,500, how do you ensure that people within the organization, that they know about your code of ethics, read it and, yep. and kind of agree to live it? Well.
1: That's why I I do the training personally with every employee in the company. And it's live, me in the room, small group sessions. Um, on top of that, we have required online training where you have to watch a video. I mean, that, I think that's fine. But frankly, I think that's sort of basic. That doesn't send a message that this is really, really important to you. It sends a message that you're willing to spend a couple grand to sign up for somebody else's program. But what sends a message is we spent the time to develop our own code development. And we spent the time to decide what's right for our company. And we're spending the time as a leader to go out and do this in person. And then every month, another thing that we do in order to keep people uh, thinking about this is I do a video every month. You have not seen this video. Yeah, what I do is I do a compliance video. And then everybody goes, oh, a compliance video. It's three to five minutes long. That's it. And it's on a different topic every month. And it's funny. And I use other people in the company.
0: I'm not so sure it's funny. Oh. You know? <laughs> cut it out. I'll send you one. You can
1: share um, But, you know, I'll tell you why people think it's funny, because the bar is incredibly low. Whenever you do anything related to compliance, like, oh, I'm going to do this. So if it's even mildly entertaining, you've greatly exceeded the very low bar that people have walking into the room, and people come away with it laughing. I get emails. People stop me in the halls about the latest video. And it's it keeps people talking about it. It keeps it front of mind. And I think that's important as part of any program.
0: That's awesome. So, I've kind of directed the conversation. Anything yeah. on your brain you, you think you'd like I to bring up
1: questions. with the group? Yeah, questions. I know you got to get in the car in a little yeah.
0: bit. So, any questions? And, um,
1: yeah. yeah, the question was uh, uh, recently there's been some press around a program for Airbnb uh, to give stock to its host. Right. Well, now we're not doing it yet, but the reason we're not doing it is it's illegal right now. Okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> You can oh yeah guess that, how I feel about things that are illegal. That, um, that thing, yeah, there's that. Um, but but there's a there's a very simple fix to it, and the SEC can fix it. Um, and the SEC, there there are folks on the SEC now that are very forward thinking in this area. And our view is, you know, frankly, it makes sense from a loyalty perspective. Um, I want hosts to come to Airbnb and stay on our platform and love it. And I think that they are going to feel more of a stake in this if they actually could get some stock. So the idea behind it is, let's create a pool. Let, when we go public, or before we go public, if we get permission to do it, create a giant pool of stock, and then tell hosts: Here are standards. We're not going to give it to you if you if you list once like once a year. But if you are on Airbnb and very active, like a super host, perhaps might be the standard. You are going to earn a fractional share of the stock pool, and so therefore you're going to you're going to benefit when the company does well because you're part of the success. Part of the problem is the law. We would love to do this. I mean, look, we give stock to everybody in Airbnb, cu- customer support employees, the, you know, all the way up to the top, because we believe that if you feel like you're an owner, you're gonna be more engaged and more likely to, uh, to work at a highest level. Why not do that to the people that are driving our business on the front lines? The issue is that under the law, um, doing that sort of thing not only runs a phallus of securities laws, but it also puts you at risk of having all those hosts counted as employees. Instead of independent contractors, so I'm like I was this morning. I was t- I was at the Federal Trade Commission. I met with three of the Federal Trade Commissioners and with the head of the EOC. Just met with her before I came here, and my message was I'd love to work with uh, uh, work to help provide health insurance, make health insurance available. as a supervisor. One, I said the only problem is you all have got laws in place that are discouraging it. Pass a law that says that any effort by an employee by a company to give equity or make health insurance available to a contractor on its platform will not be used against it and it will not be a factor uh, in, uh, in an independent contractor employee situation. I said, do that. And I said, and uh, we'll start. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll commit to doing it because I think it's, uh, I think it's good for our business uh, and I think it's the right thing to do. So the first part of it was we had to file a comment letter with the SEC on this, and we were the, uh, I think we were the first, and we did a very detailed letter. We'll uh, we'll see what they said. We're gonna meet with them next month, see what their response is. Yeah.
0: So you talked earlier, uh, you said during the interview process that they put uh, a lot of
1: emphasis on culture, company culture. Now that you guys are like in 191 countries, so you're completely global. How do you guys maintain like the values and beliefs on that type of scale? Um, some companies have a, a value and it's on, they talk about it in a press release and then you never hear it again once you've worked there. Uh, I've talked to some people at those companies. I won't name names. I can tell you that Airbnb is about belonging. So you, I thought when I first was at Airbnb, I'm like, oh, I get this Airbnb thing. It's all about making use of an extra space in your home, right, to make money. It's an efficiency thing, right? And that's great, by the way. And I love efficiency and I love uh, economic opportunity. But you go to the company, That's not what drives people. You don't don't hear that. What you hear is that Airbnb is about connecting people. It's about people from different parts of the world actually getting together in homes and getting to know each other a little bit better. So our belief is if you travel to a country and you stay in the hotel hotel district at the Marriott and you drink uh, coffee at the Starbucks and drive by the museums on the outside and then fly back home, man, you've missed it. You don't know anything about that country because you haven't really met the people and really interacted. So we're all about enabling connections between people um, and belief that the world will be a better place because we also believe once you get to know each other, you'll actually find that maybe you aren't as different as you thought you were or that you read in the paper about how different you are. You know, the world will, world will actually be a better place. A little corny maybe for some of us, but not if you work there. If you work there, that's what drives you. And so that's the sort of thing that we we look for um, in uh, people that work there. So what what? Why are you here? Are you here because you want to be at a company that's IPO and make a lot of money. It's like great, okay, thanks. It's not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna be driven to do your best work because you're not gonna get what we're about. We talk about our mission all the time. It drives our decisions. It's talked about in company meetings and the like. And I think that's what keeps the culture going. And by the way, I, I when I think of companies that are doing that sort of stuff, you guys are doing this too. I mean, there's one thing you can be, there are two ways you can look at what you do. You can look at what you do is enabling businesses to hire great employees um, and helping companies and helping people get through the necessary paperwork in order to make that happen. All true, all really good. On another level, you're making the world a smaller place. You're enabling people from different parts of the world to work together side by side in different environments. I'll tell you, there's nothing better for me than to have somebody from another part of the world coming in San Francisco and working in the San Francisco office. Nothing better for me than somebody in San Francisco going and working in an office in Europe or in Asia for a while because they come back with a completely different view of the world and of the business. They're smarter. Um, what you guys are doing are enabling, I think, the world to be a smaller place, right? Because unless you guys can do your job and can enable these sorts of uh, these sorts of, uh Employees working in different parts of the world taking their knowledge their culture their skill and transplanting it um, Doing that to me makes the world better. It makes companies better. It makes the world better. so you guys ought to be proud of that because you're enabling a lot of it.
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's a, The question of, is it different to to have a, a single harassment policy when you're in different countries and by the way the law is different in all those countries and the cultures are different in those countries. And we talk about this a little bit. I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, this gives you an example of how specific we get around integrity. One of the questions I ask the room, and I'll ask you guys do we have any huggers here? Any huggers? Huggers.
0: Right?
1: Come on, yeah, well, huggers this is Virginia. Come on. You gotta use it. A little right? bit. Some people, by the way, some people are huggers. What do I mean by a hugger? A hugger is somebody who naturally and normally greets people with a big hug, right? And there are some perfectly warm, lovely human beings who are like, you're great, but keep your hands off. Of me. Right? Everybody's different when it comes to touching. I see that in the European offices. I ask the hugger question of the European officer in Brazil, and they look at me like, are you kidding? Of course. I ask that same question in India. Everybody looks at me like, no, that's not, you know, that's just not the way the culture is. But I'll give you an example. We can bridge all those cultures with a simple rule, and that is touching is consensual. Touch someone else's body. Uh, you got to make sure that that's, the other person's good with it. And by the way, that can be uh, uh, signals. You can rely on signals. But I'll tell you what's not acceptable, which this has happened. Uh, what's not acceptable is going over to a co-worker at a bar after work and giving them an unsolicited back massage. Okay? That's not cool. You can't assume that, oh, it's a back massage. Everybody loves a back massage. Actually, <laughs> some people don't want to be touched by it. Keep your hands off of it, Right, But... We, this is exactly the sort of stuff we talk about because that's the sort of stuff that makes people feel uncomfortable and that's the sort of stuff that can lead to sexual harassment. Okay? So that's one way we can bridge cultures. We can, uh, we can have one rule that can bridge all cultures uh, and enable it. But, but I think when it comes to sexual harassment, there are places in the world that are not as strict as the United States. Um, our rule is we don't tolerate sexual harassment. Um, there's no dating uh, within the line the reporting line, but employees can date if they wish, as long as it's not a uh, line relationship. We realize that in some countries that might not be the norm, but that's what we feel is really necessary to have an office where everyone's comfortable coming to work. Good
0: question. Anything else?
1: This is some. a self serving question because That's I awesome. work on Airbnb cases. I don't know if my workload again. I've worked a little bit on some of your acquisitions like luxury well, and stuff like one. that. So yeah. I've seen a lot of uh, Silicon Valley companies get into verticals that they're not in original. Right. Have you guys thought about getting at other things? That's the whole reason to do an acquisition often is to help to help enable you because often it takes too long to build it yourself. Right, So you, you uh, use an acquisition to, uh, to enable you to get into these new lines of business. I'll tell you, Airbnb is not just about the home's business. If anybody thinks it's just about staying in a home, get ready. Uh, how many people have done an Airbnb experience? Not very many. Experiences, I'll tell you right now, it's the best part of Airbnb, and it will be bigger than the home's business. I guarantee it in 10 years. Okay. Uh, Go into the Airbnb app and look at experiences. There are probably a couple of hundred of them that you can do just in the D.C. area. They're inexpensive. They're really cool and fun ways to meet really interesting people in the area. Um, That one's homegrown. That one's one that we built ourselves. Um, I can tell you that we are, I have to be careful. We are constantly looking at acquisition opportunities that will help us get into other verticals. We are not just about where you lay your head at night. We are going to be about the entire trip. And I mean the entire trip. From beginning to end from discovery of figuring out where you want to go until you actually arrive back home the last time so our aspiration is to be about the entire travel not just the narrow place where you lay your head um and we <clears> will <throat> do that in some cases by acquisition and in some cases we'll do it by building it inside whatever we think is best
0: We get time there'll for-
1: be more there'll look for more <laughs> luxury treats is just to begin
0: i think we have time for one more before rob Kicks out of here if anybody's got another question.
1: Oh, the question is, are we trying to be a full-fledged travel company? And I can speak unequivocally and tell you absolutely yes. The people actually, you know what I think I would see? Um, uh, Our battles have traditionally been with hotels. I think hotels are really misguided on this point. Um, Hotels, you are going to see more and more hotels on Airbnb, particularly the smaller hotels, the ones that aren't the major giant chains. They do a great job of belonging. Uh, in many cases, uh, bed and breakfast, small little ends, more and more hotels are going to find that Airbnb is a better marketing channel for them than Google or Expedia or Travelocity. Because I can tell you, Expedia and Travelocity take a big chunk of money uh, when they refer people. Airbnb is a better deal. So I think you're going to find more and more that hotels are participating in Airbnb. If you want to know who I think our true competitors are, and by the way, this is not a secret. They get this, Expedia, Travelocity, Booking.com. Anybody, a trip advisor, anybody that's in the business of providing help on the entire vacation, that's where we're going. That's what we're going. Credit cards, we are are not in the business of credit cards, but I'll tell you what we are in the business of doing. We have recently started a program, a fix-it program. We're actually going to be providing capital to folks so that they can fix up their home to enable them to Airbnb. And you may see us even getting in the field of – small modular housing units that you could put in your backyard and set up like a, you know what our most popular Airbnb is? is a treehouse, right? Little igloos, little fun, creative, different things that folks may be able to do with their yard. And by the way, the, the, the people that have those sorts of things can make a lot of money compared to the cost of doing it. So um, I think there'll be a lot of ways where we might not be doing credit cards, but we might be doing capital to help you invest in your home and therefore make it better for hair home here, right? Fantastic. One, one quick one. One quick one. This is a very, very serious question. Very serious question. Okay. um, So I hear that you and Jerry are are very competitive when it comes to golf.
0: And it's really not that competitive. Oh dear! (laughs) Oh dear!
1: Oh dear! You beat me back in '08, right? Something like. I think I did. I think I did. (laughs) No, we 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 beat each other regularly and and enjoy it. Um, It's it's, uh, we're competitive about it, but I'll tell you. the the golf's not the golf for me. Golf isn't much fun by yourself. It's, but the, the joy of it is uh, having a nice long walk with a good friend, and that's what the most important thing is. So, uh, although, I, although 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 winning's nice too. <laughs> thank you for the time. I enjoyed it. Thank you guys.
0: For more content and immigration updates, please visit our website at eiglaw.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter at eig underscore law. our Instagram, underscore EIG law to join in the conversation. Thanks for listening. See you next time.